We're going to have to turn around all those people who keep saying, but we've always done it that way. It's our young people that are going to have to do it. Welcome to the Ongoing Transformation, a podcast from Issues in Science and Technology. Issues is a quarterly journal published by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine and Arizona State University. I'm Josh Trapani, Senior Editor of Issues in Science and Technology. I'm joined by Mitch Ambrose and Will Thomas from the American Institute of Physics Science Policy News Service, called FYI. Their newsletters and tools for tracking science policy budgets and legislation are key assets to the science policy community. On this episode, we'll talk to Mitch and Will about their view of science policy and get a look under the hood at what goes into creating FYI's newsletters and resources. Welcome, Mitch and Will. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Thanks very much. We're pleased to be here. Yeah, great to be on. So FYI describes itself as an authoritative news and resource center for federal science policy. And I'd like to start with a big picture question, which is how do you define science policy? Well, so there's a there's a very classical formulation of that. Uh, this is Mitch here. That's the two sides of the coin of, of science for policy and, and policy for science. And I, I have nothing against that formulation. I think it is helpful to, to broadly been the types of issues you come across, but we don't really think about that in that that way. In, in FYI, we we approach it in a variety of ways, and we, we're not thinking about oh, this is a policy for science story, and oh, this is a science for policy story. We're focused on various aspects of the process. You know, there's the, the very formal set of budget documents that gets through the annual appropriations process, following the president's budget request to the House and Senate appropriations bills to the final outcome. There's a whole procedure around that and a whole cast of characters involved in that process and really getting getting a sense of what individual people's priorities are and the whole machinery of, of how priorities get set. And that's just one lane of science policy. But then there's all sorts of other lanes as well that we pay, pay attention to. So we take this very procedural focus, I would say. Yeah, uh, I think of it, this is Will here. We, um, I think of it as a very empirical approach. What is science policy? Well, it's what policymakers are talking about. You know, what challenges are they facing? What opportunities do they see? What proposals are they putting out there? And what kinds of arguments are they making for and against different sorts of things? And when you do that, you pick up on a lot of things that, you know, maybe you didn't even think about as science policy uh, ahead of time, where you find that there's an issue in some area of policy, like trade relations, for example, that turns out to have a very technical dimension to it. And so the nice thing about taking that approach as a, a news organization is that, you know, you're always talking about things that are definitely on policymakers' agendas, whether it's in Congress or in the agencies or in universities or among advocacy groups. How do you draw that line if there's something that maybe hasn't traditionally been part of science policy, but it comes up? Um, how do you decide this is in or this this is out or is that not how it works? Yeah, I think it's a really cogent question that we're asking ourselves all the time. I mean, you know, we work for the American Institute of Physics, which is a federation of 10 member societies, American Physical Society, Optica, American Astronomical Society, and so on. And so there are we're always asking ourselves, you know, what sorts of issues might they be interested in? And so that's a very practical way of delimiting ourselves because we're a team of four people and we can only cover so much. 
Uh, and then there are certain issues that just kind of creep onto our agenda after a while. So, for example, the meteorologists have been concerned for quite some time about federal uh, allocation of radio spectrum, because if with new 5G devices coming online, that can interfere with weather satellite observations, for example. And so for a long time, we were interested in this issue in a very, very top level way. We just saw you know, spectrum meetings and we took note of the fact, oh, there's something with spectrum going on. And then starting about two, three years ago, this became a really, really serious issue. And so we just decided that we had to learn about it because there was a lot of action going on, a lot of arguments between federal agencies, between the Federal Communications Commission, NASA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, the Department of Defense. And so suddenly, you know, something that had been not part of our agenda at all was part of our agenda simply because it cropped up and you couldn't ignore it anymore. Yeah, and I'd like to build on Will's, Will's uh, comments there. I mean, to the broader point of how would you bound science policy, you know, setting aside bandwidth constraints, you know, how would you bound the, the topic space? I would say, well, one approach would be, okay, there's there's various committees in, in Congress that have control over science. There's the, the appropriations, of course, uh, committees, uh, and there's no one appropriations committee for science. It's you know distributed across many different um, subcommittees. So the the subcommittee that funds the Department of Energy also funds the Army Corps of Engineers. And then there's a separate subcommittee that funds uh, NASA, NSF, and NIST, but also the FBI and um, you know all sorts of other agencies that have nothing really to do with science policy in, in a narrow sense. And so there's, you, you could take a very structured approach of just looking at specific committees that have jurisdiction over science. But what we found, especially over the past few years, is that science policies is cropping up across many, many committees that we, we would never expect. So, you know, the Judiciary Committee, for instance, is considering immigration reforms, some of which have very big implications potentially for uh, the science workforce. You have many, many committees beyond even the intelligence committee that, that are getting interested in, in the topic of what I'll call research security, which is largely tied to the U.S.-China dynamic, where there's many people across committees in Congress that believe that uh, China is taking advantage of the U.S. research system in various ways. And that's just become such a burning topic that it it's, sh it's showing up in all sorts of places we never looked at. And uh, I'll never forget that I had a keywords, we have a congressional tracking search it. Uh, service and I had a, a keyword search for you know various science terms and all of a sudden I started hearing the FBI director start talking about science and I'm like huh that's interesting and so then we start looking to there's a whole new set of institutions that we had to learn about you know is essentially an emerging area of science policy and I would say as well that uh, we can get into this later there's the whole series of prosecutions of scientists uh, through the Justice Department's China initiative and so all of a sudden uh, for my first few years in this job, I never looked at uh, court documents at all. It just didn't come up as an area of physical science policy. But now when scientists are starting to get prosecuted, then now I'm looking through the, the PACER system and trying to, it's a whole new set of procedures that I, I would argue is now part of science policy based on the current dynamics. 
Well, it's an interesting there. thing. I mean, you know, in 2018, when the FBI director first started talking about this, we were one of the very few organizations that were really paying attention. And then we noticed that it started cropping up in additional congressional committees. And that there were a series of members of Congress who were really interested in the issue. And so now you have large petitions at Stanford University and other universities and large protest movements against um, this China initiative. And it's become really, really, I've seen it on uh, the evening news, but that's been only within the past year or two. So by taking this empirical approach, you know, we've been there all along and we've been tracing the different facets of the issue. And so that's one area where, you know, our, for the lack of a better term, empirical approach has really kind of paid off. This is really interesting. You have this really broad, um, comprehensive, holistic view of science policy that lets you almost see out ahead of where things are. I was wondering if you um, wanted to provide any insights on what you see as the most important things happening right now that people either aren't paying attention to or aren't paying sufficient attention to in the realm of science policy. Well, I think uh, to, to build on what Will just said, I would say the, the China Initiative itself is something that wasn't being paid attention to enough until fairly recently. And now, uh, as Will mentioned, you have these campaigns of scientists at, at different universities that are starting to really um, mobilize around that issue. Um, and I, th I think it took a while to, to sink into people, you know, to, you know, how significant, you know, when, when this initiative was first announced, I think in, in late 2018, it took quite a while for, after a few of these prosecutions of scientists to sink in, you know, what, what are the effects on the academic community? And now people are starting to pay much more attention to it and it's getting a lot more media coverage broadly. So I would say that that issue is now getting, I would say, you know, the attention it warrants, but there's other, like the spectrum issue that Will mentioned is another one that really burst onto the scene. And, you know, the FCC, if you had been following filing documents for FCC back, going back several years, which very have been able to, <laughs> and this is actually the topic of a recent hearing where, um, in the science committee, where essentially the chair of the committee, um, uh, Representative Eddie Bernice Johnson, made the point that had the science agencies been been paying attention to the, these FCC proceedings more closely, you know, they would have been able to see this coming years in advance. This issue of spectrum interference with Earth uh, Earth observation satellites or astronomical observations. But it was just a foreign area of policy, even to the science agencies themselves, and it's quite arcane. And she made this remark about essentially you need lawyers to decipher this sort of thing for you. But now that issue is starting to, you know, it's because it blew up as a, you had know, these fights between agencies over spectrum reallocations, and now it's getting quite a bit of attention. But And one other one that I'll mention quickly is this issue of light pollution from satellite mega constellations. And what it really took was that that first launch of a bunch of satellites from um, SpaceX's Starlink constellation. And then the, the astronomers are like, oh no, this is gonna be a huge deal. So now it's getting a whole ton of attention, but there's a few issues like that, that just within the past few years have burst onto the scene for our reporting that I think if people had perhaps been a bit savvier, would have seen them coming down the pipe. And so we're trying to, you know, I can't claim, we didn't, we didn't forecast those issues until they burst into public view ourselves. So we're not claiming you know, special knowledge in this area. But I, I think those are some good recent examples of how these hot topics can really come out of nowhere almost in science policy. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing, you know, you ask, you know, is enough attention being paid to an issue? And the question is really attention by whom? Sometimes there are people who are fairly niche, who are really, really interested in an issue, and then nobody else pays any attention to it whatsoever. So FCC filings, for example, there's very, you know, the telecommunications industry is paying attention to that all the time, but scientists weren't. The scientists didn't know how to do it. Scientists, lawyers, uh, the line at the hearing went, didn't know how to pay attention to it. And so it's only recently, you know, years after the initial filing that they really glommed onto it and said, hey, actually, this is a really important issue and it causes some very fairly serious problems. Uh, similarly, you know, we have two issues that are really big in science policy right now. We mentioned the China initiative and all these arrests of, you know, people with Chinese backgrounds, be they uh, immigrants from China or visitors from China or simply Chinese Americans. Uh, and then you have other sets of people who are interested in, in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. And those really aren't the same groups, even though you know they're united by um, a common cause of justice and civil liberties and that sort of thing. So one of the things that you know we hope that we do, we don't know if we do it or not, you know, how effective we are in doing it, is if there's you know a fairly niche issue or if there's different if there's a community that should be paying attention to it, that we can help alert them to the existence of these issues and help to get them up to speed on you know the nitty-gritty of it as best as we can. I'd like to turn to FYI itself, which there is a lot of reporting, there's a weekly newsletter, there's a budget tracker, you track people uh, in the science policy world, and it gets circulated around the science policy world quite broadly. Um, before I came to issues in science and technology, I was in several other science policy roles. And when I first learned about FYI, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go subscribe to this immediately. But I learned about it in a way that a lot of people do, which is people will forward on or forward on chunks of it. And you know, the thing is that once you subscribe, you realize that a lot of the really smart people who seem like they're in the know in your organization are actually just forwarding on bits and pieces of FYI. Um, and then you get to laugh at those people in your mind. But then within a few weeks, you find yourself turning around and engaging in exactly the same behavior because it is just such a valuable resource for the community. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit, because it is so comprehensive, about how do you go about gathering up all the things that go into the, the weekly newsletter or the other tools that you have, and, and what kind of analysis goes into that? It's really our, our secret sauce. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let Mitch take the lead. Well, yeah, I, I first like to just sketch a bit of the history of, of FYI. I think it'd be instructive at this stage, where it was started in the, the late 80s by essentially one person, uh, Dick Jones. And it, at that time, it was just distributed literally by paper mail for the first few years of exist, its existence. But it did have certain elements that have continued through today. Um, as I mentioned at the outside, we have this very formalized way of covering the federal budget process, for instance. So there's, there's a series of documents that are produced through that. There's the, the president's budget request, then the House Appropriations Committee advances its set of bills that have reports with all sorts of detailed policy instruction, then the Senate will eventually do its version of those same set of reports. And then they finally, usually several weeks late, have a final agreement. And there's documents, you know, associated with every stage. And from, from its outset, FYI, its bread and butter has been stepping through those foundational science policy documents. And that continues through the current day, um, except we're much more in depth than we used to be, which I'll get into in a bit. Um, and also, FYI covered a lot of speeches from policymakers and 
you know, did still have that kind of people-focused approach. But it was essentially just one person for the most part, up until when uh, the founder, Dick Jones, retired in about 2015. And then AIP reflected at that point, well, people seem to really like this type of information, let's really scale this up. So over the coming couple of years, we scaled up to four people. And that has really enabled us to, I would say, really a sea change in FYI reporting, where we launched this weekly newsletter called FYI This Week that is giving you a preview of what's coming down the pipe in the coming week or so, um, a summary of the big things that happened in the previous week, and then all sorts of additional information like an event calendar and a roundup of job opportunities, and then also a roundup of other people's reporting. And we're very generous in acknowledging, you know, other just good science policy reporting that we see. And every edition has about a hundred or so links at the end. It's almost like this little appendix of interesting science policy articles that I've, you know, that the team sees throughout the previous week. And I'm always floored at how much science policy reporting there is if you just know where to look. And it, it was in the process of constructing this very uh, comprehensive weekly newsletter that we started to really formalize a way for surveilling what's going on. And we have all sorts of fishing lines, I like to think, out looking for relevant events, relevant reports. There's a series of information streams that we've set up in order to have this week over week reporting on what's happening and, and trying not just to catch the newsiest things, but we, we, we do you know, give those more attention, but also including all sorts of links to less newsy things, but you can kind of see something's bubbling up. And so we have this way of across the whole landscape where we try to pay attention essentially to everything as much as we can at once. I can't say everything at once, but, and so that you can, by paying attention to the entire landscape, or as much as you can at one time, then you can start to see these little deltas of activity in different committees or different agencies. And then eventually that might bubble up into something that we write a full article about. And that's the, we have this thing called the FYI Bulletin, which has existed from the beginning, which is our full length reporting. And so we have this interplay between the weekly newsletter, which is, okay, here's the week to week churn, and then once something becomes a big enough of a story, we do a, a bulletin on it. And I'll stop there and see if, Will, you want to add to that. Yeah, I mean, it's really just being knowledgeable about, you know, what sorts of documents are apt to contain. You know, we develop a baseline knowledge of what exists right now. We call it the landscape of science policy. And the more you can know about that, the more you can see, you know, where it changed. Mitch is apt to call this a, a delta, you know, with his uh, physics background. But uh and then you learn about the windows where these things are apt to come out. So I mentioned the documents, but there are also congressional hearings. And, you know, 95% of what's said at a congressional hearing is not, you know, frankly, going to be very interesting, to be honest, like 99%. But there's always going to be some little thing. Maybe it's in the opening statement. Maybe it's later on in the hearing. Maybe it's something the witnesses say. that, And you can climb onto that if you know what's already out there and say, that's new. I have not heard that before. This is something that you know, we have to pay attention to. 
Uh, and all the federal agencies, you know, they have these advisory committees of outside scientists. And that tends to be where they talk about, you know, what's going on with their programs. Is something over budget? Is there something that they're worried about? You know, what's their latest initiative in research or in, you know, some other aspect of their activities? And so it used to be that, you know, we would be listening to these things live and that ultimately became untenable because one there's you know there's only going to be a little bit that you really truly need to pay attention to and also there are lots of different things going on at once and so we started to be a little bit smarter about uh, recording these things feeding them into these like new ai transcription services so that we can scan what was said a lot more easily and it's been just really a series of small innovations that let us lets us consume more and more and more, even though we're a really small team, you know, we can pay attention to uh, an astonishingly large amount of things. And then things that we miss, you know, we depend on reporters for other outlets. You know, I mean, we can say the science magazine has excellent reporters, space news, just awesome, awesome reporting in the space sector, nature, but it goes on and on. What is it, Mitch? National Journal that's been reporting on the uh, the science policy legislation? Yeah, there's been, you know, there's a particular reporter at National Journal who's gotten, you know, very yeah, interested in science Yeah, they just came out of nowhere, but, and, and they do a lot of important work for you. And we're always, you know, we say like, but we're only four people. We're not going to be, you know, only cite ourselves because there are a lot of people who are paying attention to a lot of things that we simply can't pay attention to. And, you know, we want to acknowledge them as part of this, you know, science policy news ecosystem. It's remarkable how much information you all process and put into your stuff. I would have thought that there would have been an army over there. And so I was really curious as to how you did it. I wonder, you know, it sounds like FYI has grown in terms of sophistication, in terms of people, in terms of the issues over the last few years. What do you see as coming next for FYI or what would you like to see next? One other thing I did mention that um, we launched over the past few years, in addition to our newsletter, uh, the weekly newsletter, is we have this series of trackers. They're essentially landing pages on our website. We have a, a budget tracker, which is you know, very fine-grained information on, for a given agency, what is the, a particular project, uh, what's the, the funding outlook for that particular uh, project. Then we have a, a leadership tracker, which is the who are in positions of power over the science agencies in some way. Uh, both, you know, people going through the Senate confirmation process, but also a whole constellation of people who are career officials that don't typically turn over with the given administration. And then finally, we have a bill tracker, which is index of key legislation relevant to the physical sciences. And it just gives you this whole, you know, map of in these different categories of data, budget data, people data, and legislative data, what's going on. And, and to your question about what are some new things we'd like to do? Right now, each of those trackers in, is in a pretty rudimentary stage. And we'd really like to take each of them to, to the next level and build out what, what we kind of call to ourselves a information architecture. And how do you provide some extra context around all the information that's provided in there? You know, particularly with budget information for large facilities as they're going through the process, for instance, it can be difficult to interpret the significance of certain changes in the funding profile. And you really yeah, have I to build in. If I can just offer an example, like with NASA launches science missions, right? 
and they'll have their funding will go on an arc. And like one day you'll see, well, they're going to cut the budget for the science mission by 80%. Well, yes, that's because it's launching. It's not because they don't like it. And that's, we don't communicate that in any way in the budget tracker as it stands right now. You just have to be aware of that, whether by reading our bulletins or because you're an insider. So that's what Mitch means by context. Yeah, so, and, and we think oh. you, we, you could even make beyond just the contextual information, you know, building it into a richer resource for people. You know, the, uh, the astronomy and astrophysics uh, community just came out with their latest decadal survey, an extremely important uh, prioritization report for that discipline. And a big part of that exercise is, you know, constructing different budget wedges of, you know, how much money will we have in a given amount of time to to do a flagship space telescope mission versus a ground-based telescope and how do we fit that under certain budget guidance that we've gotten from the agencies and we feel like we could for instance build out our budget tracker into a, a tool to help those types of planning exercises really look at what past budget wedges were like for different sets of projects how did that fit under a given constraint and also kind of looking forward as to what the current projections are adding that up in uh, what's known as a sand chart and seeing if you're going to be able to fit under a certain budget target. And that's just one of many examples I could give of how you could make richer information resources that aren't strictly news per se, but we think could provide, you know, both in, in aiding our own understanding of these processes, but also providing tools for the scientific community to understand uh, what's going on. So uh, a lot of this falls under a concept we thought about of establishing almost like a research hub for science policy to complement the journalism that FYI does. Yeah, I mean, one thing when you're a news organization, you accumulate a lot of information over time. And it's something you knew as a fact last year may no longer be true this year. And, you know, if you can follow FYI, maybe if you do it very studiously, you know, you'll be really up on the issue. But if you haven't been like an absolute scholar of this issue, we'd like to have a place where you can go so that you can learn everything that we've learned about this issue and have the most up-to-date sort of information. And that would really make us almost as much of a, a research organization as it would make us a news organization. And, and the fact is, is that we have four people who work for FYI, me and Mitch, Adria Schwarber and Andrea Peterson, and none of us have backgrounds in journalism. You know, we all are in science or history of science or something like that. We're all researchers in one way or another. And so, you know, we're not in some sense content just to, you know, write, write news articles. We want to, you know, share our knowledge with the world, so to speak. And so that's uh, one, you know, that's kind of the central idea is becoming more of a research organization. There are multiple ways uh, in which we could do that. And expanding our trackers, creating these issue guides, you know, those are two facets of what we'd like to do. And, you know, we just have to find a logical way, you know, to, to expand that doesn't put too much pressure on us because, you know, we're pretty much at the red line as it is. Figuring out how to expand, reach new audiences and create new resources while the red line is a challenge for issues too. We're inspired by what you're doing at FYI. On behalf of myself, Issues in Science and Technology, and probably thousands of people who work in science policy fields, I'd like to thank you for all you do and all the tools that you put out there. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been really enjoyable. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to come on the podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Ongoing Transformation. If you have any comments, please email us at podcast at issues.org and visit us at issues.org for more conversations and articles. 
I'm Josh Trapan, Senior Editor of Issues in Science and Technology. See you next time.